Good morning, it's time to start. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Adam is out of the country, uh, about 14 hours away, so um, he asked me to fill in for him this morning. Um, I, Adam does such a great job of stimulating con- consideration of the scriptures in Philippians where we're studying. For those of you that are visiting, we're in Philippians chapter 3. Um, I told him that I would, cover the, I would cover the material, but I certainly probably wouldn't make the same points he would make. Um, and so he can recover from whatever damage I do uh, today. Um, if you would bow with me as we enter into this study. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together here today and to study a portion of your word. We thank you so much for your word. Um, Without it, we would not have a way of understanding you and your character and your love, um, nor would we understand the plan that you have for mankind and our redemption so that we have an opportunity and a way to spend eternity with you. We know you're holy and that we are not. Um, We are amazed at your grace, uh, your love, that you would be willing to send your son to die for our sins so that we might at least be viewed by you as righteous, even though we know we don't earn that. It is a gift. Thank you so much for that. Help us this morning as we look at these considerations in Philippians chapter 3 that we might apply them in our lives in ways that make us better Christians in your kingdom and more effective in our service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 3, I, I, we are, we are, I'm supposed to pick up at verse 12, but I will tell you that there are some concepts that, that Adam covered um, that we just need to be reminded of before we go into that section and finish the chapter, hopefully. So I'm going to go backward just a little bit in Philippians chapter 3 um, and ask some questions just to refresh our, our minds on a few of the concepts that Adam covered in the first part of this particular chapter. Um, there were threats that were occurring to the people in Philippi, to the Christians in Philippi. Um, what's the threat that Paul points out at the very beginning of the chapter? Judaizers, good. And specifically, so Judaizers, we talked about how, who that might be. Uh, certainly among the church, most likely. Uh, they were probably Christians in the Philippi church. But they were Jewish Christians, most likely. Although, I, I gave some consideration to that. And I think if someone's converted to a way of thinking, even if they're not Jewish, if a, if a, if a, if a Greek or another Gentile were converted to that way of thinking, they could be just as Judaizing in that regard. They could be just con- as convinced and confirmed that that is what was needed to be done. And what was it that they were specifically saying needed to be done? I'm hearing it in a whisper, circumcision. That's right. Circumcision. And so we had this conversation about circumcision um, that, and we talked about what it was designed for. Um, what was circumcision supposed to accomplish? What was the purpose of it in the Old Testament for the Israelites? A sign of the covenant. Remember we talked about that being a sign. It wasn't a sign of their um, unification with, with God. It wasn't a sign of being an, a, a chosen, saved race, if you will, of Israelite people. 
It was a sign of something different. Because you had the sign didn't make you saved, is what I'm saying. And because they had the sign didn't necessarily mean that they were accorded the benefits of being an Israelite. It was simply a sign that God made a promise that through them, they would be used as a vehicle, and through them, through their offspring, the world would be saved, would be blessed is the way it's talked about. But the result of that is that the plan of salvation, God's gift of his son dying on a cross that established a way for us to have our sins forgiven, to be seen righteous as God in God's eyes, were all things that were a part of the promise God made to the Israelites that it would come through them. And so circumcision was a sign of that promise. What did they think it was here in Philippi? What did the Pharisees and the rest of the Jews by this time in the first century believe that circumcision accomplished? What were they telling these poor people in Philippi? And in, and in, and in the Galatian letter we see the same thing. They were telling people in that region the same thing. What was it that they were telling them? Could they be saved without circumcision? That's, I mean, I'm asking that question. Yes, is the answer to that question. But could, were these people saying that to the Christians in Philippi? These Judaizing teachers were saying the opposite. You can't be saved without being circumcised, is what they were saying. And so Paul takes them on in this passage, as he does in Galatians, and as he does in other, other writings in the, in the scriptures, in his letters. And the Hebrew writer takes this on as well. So this is, this is something that's covered in multiple places, that circumcision isn't the method, the means, the vehicle that saves someone. It was a sign of a promise that God made that there was going to be a way through his son, through the offspring of the Israelites, that the world would be blessed. They'd confused that. And so, as we see, as, as we get down into these, into this passage of Scripture, we come down to, um, we, we, we read, Adam read, Romans chapter 9. I want to revisit this, this, this verse. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. If you'll turn over to Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. Do you remember what we said that verse talked about? What that laid out for us and for them? What, what, what are the descendants of Abraham in this passage? Paul's talking about descendants of Abraham. What's the, what's the meaning behind that? If you're a descendant of Abraham, you are, you are people of the promise. Brian, did you raise your hand or were you just scratching. scratching your head? I just saw that out of the corner of my eye. So the, the, the point being made here in Romans chapter 9 is it, it's not because by blood relationships, not biologically, that you're children of Abraham. That's not the point. The point 
is that because of a promise God made to Abraham and to his seed, that through them Jesus would come, that anyone can be a, a, a benefactor of that promise. Anyone can receive the benefits of that promise. You don't have to be Israelite to receive the benefits of the promise. And so, he says in this passage of Scripture, it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but children of the promise who are children of God. And then if you go to Romans chapter 2 and verse 29, it says he's, he's he, chapter 2, verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from people, from God, but from God. That's the verse I want to key on. I, again, that hits on circumcision. Nothing different than what we've already talked about last week or now. But he, I have this underlined in my Bible. And his praise is not from people. Now let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. We concluded last week by Paul saying in Philippians chapter 3 that, sorry, my iPad shut down. That these people, in verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision. Those verses in Romans we talked about. Any ones that, that are children of the promise are the children of, of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, the children of God. For we are the true circumcision. Our worship is in the Spirit of God. We take pride in Christ Jesus. We take pride in Christ not, we put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on and he lists the things we've already covered. Although, he says, I myself could boast having confidence if I could have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have a lot more reasons. And he goes on and he lists these attributes. I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Pharisee, I'm, a, I'm of a certain tribe, blameless according to the law. But what did he think of these things? We covered this last week. What did Paul think of those things as it relates to being a Christian? Rubbish. It's a polite way of saying what Paul said. He used a word there that was intentionally um, meant to have shock value. We politely call it dung. He wanted to get the Philippians and anybody who read this letter's attention. That those things when it comes to my Christianity are absolutely worthless relative to where I have my confidence. So here's the question that I'm leading up to today so we can conclude this chapter. What makes you feel convinced that you're in good stead with God? Paul is saying here, it was not because I was a Hebrew. It's not because I was a Pharisee. It's not because I was circumcised. It's not because of any of those things. That, back to Romans chapter 2, people would praise me for. But when it comes to my confidence in my relationship with God, those mean nothing. What matters 
in my relationship with God, where do I get my confidence in my salvation? Where does that come from? How do I know I'm saved? How do you know you're saved? Here's some questions that Adam wanted to get to that he didn't, and the bell rang on him and he didn't get to. If Paul was saying, it doesn't, when it comes to my Christianity and my confidence that he writes about to 2 Timothy, the second letter he writes to Timothy, there wasn't a 2 Timothy, when he writes to Timothy the second letter, and he says that he's finished the course, he's finished the race, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He had this confidence that that was what was waiting for him. On what basis did he have that confidence? Why would Paul be able to say that? Did he say that because I was a Hebrew? <laughs> I think not. Wouldn't you laugh? Wouldn't he laugh? Oh, Paul, was because you're a Pharisee. <laughs> no, it wasn't. In fact, the Pharisee was totally guiding him down a path that was going to lead to destruction, not to salvation. Oh, it was because you were circumcised. Uh, no, that's not what got me in with that confidence that I have a, a, a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And here's where Adam wanted to go last week, and I wanted to finish the class on this point so we could move on. What are the things today that are like those things that people put their confidence in related to their salvation? I doubt many of us in this room are Hebrew. So none of us here are saying, well, because I'm a Hebrew. But what are some things like that? Or, I'm not of a certain tribe. Or, I'm not, you know, circumcision is hit or miss these days. Or any of those fleshly things, earthly things. Those are all earthly things that men, people, would praise, meaning put their confidence in relative to their relationship with God being in a good stead. You would have confidence that you're saved. That I, I also have a crown of righteousness waiting for me. What are the things not in this day? It was Paul using the things that he said. If I could boast on those things, if there was anybody that could maybe boast on some of these things, boy, I could put some stuff on the table that would be impressive. These don't get me anything. Crystal. Absolutely. And so if you didn't hear Crystal, she said um, uh, the suffering, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I want to focus in on that one. That's a really good one. Because who did he just talk about in chapter 2 as examples of people who suffered like Christ? First he points out Christ. The very beginning of chapter 2 is have this mind in you as it was in Christ that he emptied himself came from heaven, he gave that up to become a servant on earth, to become a human, and ultimately dying on a cross. Have this mind in you, he says. And then who does he talk about? Who? Epaphroditus and Timothy. 
Remember what he said about Timothy? I have no one here that is like-minded. And we talked about what did that mean. When Paul said to the people with him in Rome, remember he's in prison and he's got a, he's got a, a bit of a little entourage, a, a group of people that are with him, ministering to him in some cases, but also helping him, offering to work with him, which didn't just mean sitting with him in the cell and comforting him. It did sometimes. But the work was actually evangelism. Paul was more focused on the word being taught than being taken care of. And so when, as Adam put it a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, when Paul said, hey, I need somebody to go to Philippi. These people need a visit. How many people raised their hand? Well, we don't really know. But there's an insinuation by what he says about Timothy when he says, I have no one else like him. Timothy raised his hand. Maybe the rest of the people sort of went, well, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help you here, Paul, in Rome. So participating in the sufferings, Peter says the same thing, doesn't he? How, how, he said, how, how great it is that I could be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. So there's, a, there's certainly one attribute. Barry. There you go. I was waiting for somebody to bring that one up. So if, if, he, if you didn't hear Barry, we should, he said we should place our confidence in the fact that we are members of the Church of Christ. Because all the members of the Church of Christ are going to heaven and nobody else is, right? Ooh. So, I, before I revisit this, there are people. I guarantee you there are people just like here in Philippi who believe they're going to heaven because they're going to the right church. Now, it may not be the Church of Christ. It might be the Baptist church. It might be a Lutheran church. It might be a Catholic church. It might be any church who believes that somehow they exclusively have the path to heaven. Paul says, hmm, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Not, not necessarily going to get me to heaven. Purely by birth, by luck. Could have been born into any tribe. So why the Benjamites? So there are people who say, well, because I go not just to the Church of Christ, but I go to a specific Church of Christ. Not the Church of Christ down the street or over there, but this or that. Or I go to a Church of Christ or I go to a church that's huge. Look at all the things they're doing because of how big they are. Or I go where this preacher is. Or, as he talks about in Corinthians, Paul writes, because I was baptized by so-and-so. Or since they talk about being circumcised on the eighth day because I was baptized when I was 12 years old. Are all those things going to get me to heaven? Are any of those things going to get me to heaven? David Lee? Take the opposite, exact opposite side of that. Culturally speaking, especially here in this, in this region of the country, but maybe specifically here in Nashville, like, there's a much more broad like, acknowledgement of 
I acknowledge that Jesus existed. Therefore, that's it. Yeah. You know, and True. there's no lifestyle associated with it. There's no sacrifice. There's no, it's just purely just Jesus existed. I believe that. And therefore, I'm going to heaven. That God's grace covers all. He's a merciful God. And I feel closer to him when I'm in the woods anyway. I don't need to be a part of any church. My relationship is singular. Is that what people say? Sometimes people say that. I know people that say that. John? I think the problem is people are giving up their individual responsibilities. Amen. And blaming it on the elders and others to true. do everything. It's true. Our relationship is singular. Our relationship, our reward in heaven is based on my relationship with my Heavenly Father and my life. Not on what you're doing. You can either help me or you can hurt me. When I want to belong to a congregation of people, when I want to get into a family of God, I want to be in a family who's going to help me. Hold me accountable. Make me stretch. Make me do more. I'm going to get to that here. I've got to move on. But go ahead, Allison. I think we do it on an individual basis, though, too. I think this idea of having a certain checklist of things that we oh, yeah. need to do to feel safe. I've attended, I've studied my Bible as many times a week, I'm praying as many That's times right. I think that checklist can be both something we use to have confidence mm. and can be something that shakes our confidence. And the fallacy of it is that it's, it is based on us and not on Christ, which is the point of this text. Very good. Yeah, because we do that individually as well. Get to, get to do that as well. I'm there every Sunday. Every time the doors are open, I'm there. So I know I'm going to heaven. Is that all it takes? Attendance? Or I give a contribution check on a regular basis or electronically or however you do it today. So... I am. Or I teach a class. What are the check marks? And that's what Adam was trying to get to at the end of last week. And I used 20 minutes I shouldn't have done. I wanted to use 10. Um, but I wanted to refresh us of that because of what's coming next in this chapter. Go ahead. I think uh, in, in, in that chapter 3 that we're talking about, I think verse 20 is a real yeah. check for us. Because when we read through here, we say, you know, before to live is prize, to die is gain. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, Paul says, I count all these things as rubbish, and I might gain Christ, I be found in Him, and I might know Him. And we read our citizenship is in heaven, and to all this we say, Amen, Amen, Amen. And then we say, We see here from which we also eagerly wait mm -hmm. for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform us. And then when you ask yeah. that question, Aren't you excited? Aren't you ready? Wouldn't it be great if Christ came today? today? And we're kind of like, <laughs> Wait a minute. I got stuff to do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely right. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quickly all this idea of going to heaven, there's this issue of entitlement, which all of us have in one way or another. But heaven matters largely because it's the cultivation of our ultimate cultivation of our relationship with Christ. Yeah. That's why it matters. Yeah. Absolutely. And oh, entitlement. We talked about at the very beginning of this class about Philippians. The Philippians, Philippi I was a Roman colony, so the Philippians were most likely all Roman citizens. And as Roman citizens, they were entitled to certain privileges that the others 
didn't have if you weren't a Roman citizen. Remember when Paul was beaten and they didn't know he was a Roman citizen, they found out he was a Roman citizen. They got real scared because he didn't have a due process. He didn't go through a trial. They just beat him and imprisoned him and then they realized, ooh, we made a huge mistake because that was a privilege of being a Roman citizen. People in Philippi were Romans in all likelihood, many of them, probably not all of them. And so some of the things they had to give up were entitlements that came as being a, a, a Roman, not just a Philippian. Anyway, last thing that I want to bring up about, about what Adam said last week, and I won't spend any time on this, we talked about what it says about being conformed to his death. In verse, chapter 3, not that I've already, let's see, where are you? and having a righteousness of my own in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, sufferings being conformed to his death. We talked about that, or Adam brought that up as to what does that mean, and I, I, don't, I don't have time for a discussion about it, but his point was, it asked the question, could Paul go to heaven the way he was? And the question is, in his physical body, no. He had to die, and his body had to take on a different form. And so when Paul says here, being conformed to his death, we can talk about his death on the cross and the things that that means and what that simulates, and his burial and his resurrection, and sure, he being conformed to all those things. Not wrong. But Paul's making a very specific point here about the earthly things that we have in this life that we hang on to and have our confidence in. And one of them may be this life. To your point exactly. Are we ready to give up this life? Paul said it was one of the top three things he couldn't wait for would be to be conformed to Jesus' death. To die. So his body could be transformed. We're going to get to that next. So that said, let's move on. If you look ahead in verse 12 through 21, the rest of the chapter, I want to skip right down to verse 15. I want to read verse 15 and 16. Therefore, all who are mature, let us have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. The question being, I'll read it in a different version, therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind and if, it, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. What mind or attitude is that? Joshua. Paul mentioned in another book of we all need to strive towards the unity of the faith. So that's what he's reiterating here to the Philippians is that you need to strive towards the same thing in mind. True. Not so coming together like this. This is the way of God revealing error away to certainty. Legitimate point, and I agree with it. In this verse, in this context, when he says, be of the same mind, as we are mature, have this attitude. What attitude is he talking about? John? I think it's just all part of if you look back to the beginning of chapter two, he refers repeatedly to have this mind, have this mind. And that being ultimately Christ have the same mind as Christ did, humbling himself to death. Good. That's where I'm going. What's the mind it's talking about here? Right at the conclusion of this all these reminders we just had, David Lee. 
you know, yeah. consider yourself as we've attained this, therefore are we perfect, therefore we can just put on the brakes and, and coast. And the comment earlier was about this relationship with Jesus. It's like in any relationship with your spouse, your family, whatever, if you just quit working on it, it's going to die. That's right. Good point. A perfect segue into what I was going to say. So here's what I've done. Obviously, it's obvious to people. I skipped verses 12, 13, and 14. I did that on purpose. Because I do think that there's sort of a, an application, a solution to what he's talking about that he sort of skips from verse 11 down to verse 15. Verse 15 and 16 say about having the same mind. What's the same mind? It's the same mind that Paul had. He had this mind where the things of this world aren't the things that matter when it comes to my confidence in my salvation. It's the sufferings with Christ. It's the other things in life. It's these examples that we have of Timothy and Epaphroditus and of Jesus himself in chapter 2. Having this mind is the mind that we need to find. It's the mind that we need to, to embrace. And, and live our lives with that mindset, with that attitude. Drew, and I'll come over here, Jacob. So if we fundamentally like repositioned, your confidence isn't in your own righteousness. Your confidence is in the righteousness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. It then makes sense that he would have to say, like, but that doesn't mean that you've made it. Like, just because you're, you're trusting in how righteous that Jesus is and your faith is in him, that doesn't mean you get to let your foot off the gas right. and stop striving and stop trying to be conformed to this. It's a little counterintuitive, but, like, even though it has nothing to do with you and it's everything to do with Jesus, you still have to work and you still have to strive to live by that ideal and to pursue that relationship. Mm. But it could be easy to think, well, like as David Lee was saying, man, I, like, Maybe to take that a step further. Man, I love Jesus, and He's so righteous, so I'm good. Yeah. But that He's like, you got to keep working. Like Romans, in Romans, when He says that where, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And their conclusion was, well, sin, so should we sin more, so that grace is even more abounding? Yeah. Weird logic there, Jacob. writes in Corinthians, to the Corinthians, we groan in these tents. Our, our bodies, if we're truly having our minds set in the right place. So here's, I want to pick up on something David Lee said. Um, in, in a physical sense, as we are growing, as we're born and we are, you know, as we've had newborns here and they become toddlers and then they become, you know, younger people, and their, their bodies physically, biologically, they just grow. If they're put in a good environment with good nutrition, they'll grow. At some point, they might take on some extra activities to try and reach some peak performance biologically. 
Maybe they'll be an athlete or something like that, or an Olympic athlete. I mean, think of some of the people that the things they do and the disciplines they have to become what they become athletically. At some point in their life, they might reach that peak of physical, biological, best I will ever be. What does it take to get there? I mentioned discipline. What are some other things that would come to mind for an athlete to get there at that point in their life? Single-minded goals. Focus. What else? Perseverance. Perseverance. Good. You're naming all the ones that are in my mind. Discipline, I mentioned. Julie. The right nutrition, putting the right things in your body. Priorities. No, nutrition. Putting the oh, right nutrition. Sure. Sure. What it is that you're taking in. So from a human standpoint, from a biological standpoint, can that just happen all the way till the day we die? At 90 or 100? Can't, can it? At some point biologically we do reach a peak. And then at that point, biologically, everything after that is either maintenance or decline. No matter how much, your heart, your respiratory system, those things just start to not function the way they used to. So you pass your peak and you live your life doing whatever you do physically to maintain whatever style of life you want to have. Now let's talk about that spiritually. If I want to reach my spiritual peak, what things do I have to do? Focus, persistence, perseverance, nutrition. Where does that come from? God's Word. Priorities. I, one we didn't hear was making sacrifices. Do you think any of those athletes get to do everything they want to do anytime they want to do it? No way. They sacrifice. They give things up. You have to do that spiritually too. Christy? Being around people. Absolutely. Having people around you that are good for you. Coaches, in the, if it's physical, spiritually other Christians. Jacob? Uh, exercise. Exercise. Exercise yourself on the godliness. And also, the athlete analogy, it always helps to look to somebody. Like if I want to be a quarterback, I look to Good. Joe Montana or Tom Brady. You know, <laughs> and here, Jesus yeah. is that. He is the son of man. And so we look to him and strive to become more and more like him. So if Paul is always pushing for that peak spiritually. And if he says in verses 15 and 16, have this mind. Have this mind that Christ had. Have this mind that I try to have. Have this mind that Timothy has. Have this mind that Epaphroditus has. He's throwing up these examples we have to go to now to these verses 12, 13, and 14. What are the three things that Paul, or so, I won't say three things, what are the things that Paul says in verses 12, 13, and 14 that he does to strive for that peak spiritually? What's the first one right in verse 12? What does he do? 
I press on. Number one, I press on. What does that mean? What does that imply? If I'm pressing on, what are the implications of that? Drew, you kind of said it. What, is it. what are the implications that it has? That I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. Right? And that you're moving forward. I'm moving towards something. So there's an implication in Paul's statement that he's pressing on that he's not there yet. And of course he says that in the verse. It's sort of obvious, but there's some really interesting implications, Joshua. Pressing on sounds like to me that there's a, something that you're pushing. There's an obstacle in your way and you're pushing it mm. to keep moving forward. Good, there's some resistance. Yeah. So when you're, it's, this is not an easy, this is not a downhill, <laughs> this is not a coast. <laughs> this is pressing. You're working. I find it fascinating. Do any of you find it fascinating that Paul, an apostle, maybe, even though he calls himself the least of the apostles, because of what he did before he was an apostle, don't you find it interesting that Paul, an apostle, with all that he's done at this point in his life, he's writing from prison. His life may be very short. All the churches that he's helped establish, all the churches that he keeps encouraging, what is he doing while he's in prison? He's writing letters to these churches to keep them stimulated, keep them on the right path. And after all that, he says, I still haven't arrived. I'm still pressing on. If an apostle needs to do that, do you think I need to do that? Do you think you need to do that? I think so. But it's just such a great implication for me. Holy cow. If Paul can't stop, if Paul can't say, I'm there. And now he writes to Timothy and says, I know, I know there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. Does it mean he stopped? No, it's because he keeps on pressing on. What's the next thing he talks about? The next verse, verse 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat because we're running out of time because Barry said it. Having your single-mindedness, your focus. What was Paul's focus on? What does it mean to be focused? Let's start there. What does it mean to be focused? He forgot everything that came before. He forgot everything that came before, which are what? what? What could they be? I mean, not just his, but when you're focused on something, what does it mean you're, you're carving out? Bad things that happened in the past, and they are a good word for all those things. What can they be? Distractions? That is the word I was looking for. Sorry. I'm not probably asking my questions good. Distractions. For us to reach our peak performance physically, we've got to keep the distractions out of our life. An athlete can't have distractions that are calling on them all the time or their mind is divided, their tension's divided. Some and I believe me, when you're working out, on a, if, if you, any of you work out, when you work out, there are days when you just don't want to work out. And, you, and your mind wanders. And sometimes those workouts aren't, aren't the best workouts, not the greatest exercise. But you do it. Distractions. Karen? There you go. And being able to, because God has given him grace to let go, but giving yourself grace to let go too is a, is a big deal. You have to be able to move forward with 
you, you, you can't, you'll freeze. You, you'll be paralyzed by thinking that I can't be effective because of my past. Jerry. I think it was someone here that pointed out to me the word priorities didn't used to be a word. Oh. <laughs> it used to just be that you have a priority. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it takes away from that, so it's no more priority. Yeah. How can you have more than one priority? Yeah. Priorities, like, okay, so, and you already hear people say, rank your priorities. You know, it's, it's a term, but priority, if you have a priority, it's one priority. Focus. So what does Paul say in this case? In his case, he says he puts some things in the past, these distractions that could keep him from being able to press on and be as effective, being at his peak spiritual performance. The things that are, could distract him from that are the things that are in the past, some of the things that are in the past. Some of those things are the places where he used to lay his confidence that he just went through and just mentioned. So put those aside. I shouldn't have any confidence in those things because those aren't the things that are helping me get to my peak spiritual performance. It's not what I used to do. It's not that I was a Hebrew. It's not that I was in a certain tribe. It's not that I was circumcised. It's not that I was this. It's not that I was that. Those are all in the past. You know, in, in, in the corporate world, we used to say, um, you know, it's not what you used to do. It's not what you did for me. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, what have you done for me lately to get your merit increases or your rewards or your bonuses that you might have in the corporate world? That's even changed lately to say it's not what you've done for me lately, but what are you going to do for me next? So it's like, okay, yeah, so what? You closed that big account three months ago. It was the biggest account we ever had in our whole existence as a corporation. Thank you. What are you going to do next? Like, wow, that gratitude was short-lived. So, same thing. Paul's saying, those are the kinds of things that will keep you. You can't rest on your laurels even when you may have done something very great for the kingdom. Can't say, ooh, okay, now I can relax a little bit. Hmm. Paul would probably say, no, use that momentum. Keep going. Go ahead, Crystal. Refers back to chapter one in the end where it talks about um, let your man life be worthy. He talks about yeah. you can't actually attain that, which is what he says here. I'm not there yet, but keep striving with one mind and not being frightened by the things that happen in the past. Or what's yeah. um, and then also the first part of chapter two. So you put all of that together. Perfect. Very good. Drew. We actually talked about this like a few months ago. Um, I think it was Michael. He was saying, like, this concept of if you're trying to earn your own salvation, you recognize and think it's about you. You can't do enough to earn it. Like there's, like you just could never do enough. But then once you realize that you can't do enough to earn it, and it's what God has given you, then you can't do enough to say thank you. And so you want to keep yeah. going and pushing. And it's like, man, I can't ever stop doing more and more and keep pushing because you realize like you can't do enough. Absolutely right. You never will reach that point where you've done enough. That's right. The last thing I have in here is, in this section is what's he pressing toward? Um, when he's leaving these things behind, he's pressing toward something. The word would be forward. <laughs> I mean, the simple word is that he's reaching forward. But for him, what's forward? What's out there? That's right. Heaven is the goal. Ultimately, he wants to have that crown of righteousness, that heaven, that heavenly home. Are there things in this life, though, that we can strive for? That are on that path? Are we reaching out to the lost? Are we teaching our children? Are we helping the elderly? 
Are there things in this life that we can press on that have effects in this life? That may have spiritual, yes, long-term benefits, but they also have some benefits in this life. Are we looking out for each other? Are we holding each other accountable? Those are the kinds of things. And I will tell you this. I'm going to tell Adam I finished the chapter. The rest of this chapter, verses 17 through 21, I think are some, some think, interesting things to think about. That he talks about, if you read those verses, I'm just going to go ahead and read them. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example of what? Of what we just talked about, right? Having this mind, but putting these things aside and pressing on and toward a goal. Observe those who walk accordingly to what Jacob said earlier. These ones that are working, because why? Because they can help us on this walk. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And then he talks about, and what about the people who do put their confidence in these fleshly things? In circumcision. In the first part of chapter 3, what does he call them? He calls them evil workers, verse 1 or 2. And what does he call them here in this passage? For many of who walk whom I've often told you and now I tell you even as I weep that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, the evil workers, the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because they're giving people confidence in their salvation based on things that don't matter. And they're missing the point of what they should be doing in the kingdom. That does matter. So they're evil workers. They're enemies of the cross because they're not having the same. And their end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, meaning they like the praise of men. They like the glory that they're getting in this life for being bragged on and what they do, who have their minds on earthly things. And to your point, this is the concluding point, for our citizenship is in heaven, not here. It doesn't matter what the praise of men offer or the confidence in this life may offer us. None of those things should give us any confidence in our relationship with God. It's these spiritual things because our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for this Savior to come from there. And then here's what I had to say about Adam's point about needing a new body. Who will transform the body of our lowly condition, this earthly tent, into conformity with his glorious eternal body. That's what Paul couldn't wait to happen. The power of the resurrection. He just, I find, in my, I find Paul fascinated with, wherever I read him, the power of the resurrection. How is it possible that that can actually happen to all of us, that we can be transformed and be like he is? And Paul said, I can't wait for that to happen for me. Well, thank you for your, for your, for your comments today. I'll let Adam take over and recover next week. Um, uh, and uh, look forward to our worship with our Heavenly Father next. <laughs>